Hello and welcome everyone to another Tune Under podcast episode. Uh, I'm joined by Mitch Cho. Uh, so Dimmy's here again and Keegan's here. Um, so how you going, fellas? Uh, down in Melbourne, cold Melbourne. Yeah, crazy cold actually. <laughs> bit sleep deprived from this morning's uh, World Cup qualifier watching as well. Absolutely. Absolute shock yeah. that we're, we've qualified. But yeah. um, uh, good, result, pleasant, good result. A pleasant surprise. A pleasant surprise. And uh, Look forward to look forward to the damage we can do in uh, in Qatar. Let's see. Yeah. That was a joke, by the way. We're going to get slaughtered, yeah. but that's okay. It's, it's a tough group as well, so uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens with that one. And joining us today uh, as a, a very uh, special guest for us is Andy Naylor, who is the Brighton correspondent of the Athletic. Uh, hi, Andy. Thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. I have to say, I was watching with interest last night because of the Matty Ryan connection. And, and what a brave decision that was, I thought, when I was watching. And also, with replacement dancing across the line, I'm thinking, hmm, not sure. Particularly when the first two or three penalties, he didn't really get near. Fair play. I mean, it was the, it worked, didn't it? He yeah, made the Eventually paid off anyway, yeah. Worth looking a, like a fool for, for the, uh, for the yeah. final save. It was a massive, it was a massive move, but that's that. That actually, that's his call card, Andy. The the keeper that came on Redmayne, he he does a bit of the they call it the grey wiggle down here, where he just flops around and dances and tries to, <laughs> tries to put you off. And obviously, this time it worked because the Peruvians would have looked at him thinking, "What on earth is this guy doing?" But it worked. So well, fair funny play, enough, fair play. there's a slight Matty Ryan penalty connection because I'm a. I happen to be a Stoke City supporter, so would you believe? Which is really just because when I was growing up as a kid, I was, Gordon Banks was my idol. That's that's literally the only reason. And he made a really crucial penalty save for Brighton at Stoke in a 1-1 draw the season that Stoke went down. He's actually, a, Matty Ryan's actually a, a very good penalty saver as yeah. well. So it was, it was yeah. a shock to... The 20 million Australians who are watching this morning, we were all thinking, <laughs> what are you doing, Graham Arnold? But yeah. fair play, it worked out. and uh, It worked well, out. He, he Literally, it was an all or nothing bid though, wasn't it? Because if that didn't was. pay off, he was going to end up getting crucified in the press. <laughs> they wouldn't let him back in, I reckon, if they didn't qualify after doing Definitely that. Definitely not. His no, passport would have no. been ripped up. He would have been uh, yeah. deported forever. <laughs> So uh, we'll we'll get on with the with the show today. Uh, so I want to get Andy just to run through a little bit about himself and uh, your your lead up and how you found yourself in the in the position that you are in at the moment. So take it away for the moment. Yeah. Well, I was actually on the the local daily newspaper, the Argus, for this makes me sound very old, I'm afraid. For 32 years, I worked on the paper, and 25 of those were covering the football club. And then um, got approached by The Athletic and we launched in the UK in August 2019. So I've been doing, still covering the football club, but in a, in a different way for The Athletic. How have you found the, the actual changeover from being just as like the, the local paper to kind of this multinational uh, sort mm -hmm. of company in The Athletic for, for doing all of the, the sports broadcasting? I've loved it because I was if I'm being honest, getting a bit frustrated and disillusioned with the way things were kind of going on the sort of daily beat, very leaning towards more um, online and speculation and, and just unsubstantiated stuff. So um, this has kind of brought me back to 
really what I went into journalism for in the first place, you know, the scope to kind of dig a bit deeper, longer reads, and s still doing news, but um, making sure it's not just kind of uh, speculation and, and regurgitation as well. That That's another frustrating thing for me. You see so much stuff now that is just regurgitated other people's work. Yeah, so there's. I think as Newcastle fans, um, I mean, I when I was when I was living in the northeast of England and um, I was working in Newcastle, you know, you'd get the 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 Chronicle every day, and you'd have like this this big headline, and everyone would buy the Chronicle just to read what was going on for Newcastle transfer rumors and things like that. But it's kind of gone away from that, and it's literally like whack a mole if you go to their website now, trying to like click all of like the ads to get rid of everything so you can actually see what's happening and it's just generating clicks now um and i think that's that's the way a lot of uh sort of written media are going now it's all moving online and it's literally just about generating clicks and getting that ad revenue and stuff so yeah i, I totally see where you're coming from with with getting that sort of back, back to basics if you like and, and actually just doing sort of proper proper articles and not not sort of like just as you said regurgitating and making stuff up just for just for clicks and likes um, so what I will actually, uh, what I want to go through with you just quickly. Um, so obviously this, this episode is going to be quite heavily leaning towards, uh, our appointment of Dan Ashworth. Um, I think it's great that you've come on and we can get a little bit more of an insight into the man, the myth legend. Um, we can actually see what's happening in terms of what he's done with Brighton, what we can expect from him at Newcastle. Uh, I think a lot, a lot of the Newcastle fans will actually be, uh, quite eager to see what we can expect from him and, and and what sort of person he is and what he brings to the table. So obviously, um, he, it's been a bit of a prolonged saga. Um, he's been on gardening leave from Brighton for so long. Um, I fully expected us to have to wait for another, you know, sort of five five or six months or whatever it was going to be. Um, luckily, we've managed to come to an agreement. Um, everything seems to be quite amicable between the two clubs. I mean, between Dan Byrne and now um, Dan Ashworth, uh, you know, I, I don't want to keep poaching Brighton because I think we'll end up with a bad reputation with you and, and, and the fans. But um, have you had a lot of contact with uh, with Dan Ashworth in your time covering the club? And and if so, you, what, what's he like as a person? What's your impression of him? I wouldn't say a vast amount of contact, but I've had two in particular sort of long, long sort of sessions with him for for reads. Um, a really top-class operator, I would say. You've certainly got somebody there who I think guaranteed to do a good job. You look at his background with West Brom and then England. Uh, I mean, Brighton hadn't had a technical director as such, um, so he that was a new appointment. And the work that he did during his time at Brighton, they, they were pretty well set up already. They've got a really strong structure at the club. Um, but he certainly developed that. And when you look at some of the signings they've made, uh, the young players they've got coming through, um, yeah, he's, he, he's a really good guy for that. I'm not sure specifically you about how his role will pan out at Newcastle but at Brighton it was very much a, a kind of all-encompassing role overseeing uh, the way Dan described it himself he sits in the center of a wheel and whether it's the first team the recruitment strength and conditioning the women and he it's his job to kind of keep that that wheel turning smoothly 
And um, certainly at Brighton, he was responsible sort of overseeing all of those departments. And and that that requires a fairly unique skill set to be able to do. You'll always perhaps find a technical director or whatever else you want to call him. They're always given different titles, aren't they? Sporting director who might have a particular area of expertise, you know, might be particularly strong on the recruitment side or, uh, but Dan was able to kind of pull all those things together. So, um, yeah, yeah, um, I, I expect him to do really well at Newcastle. No, that's good. Um, I mean, what obviously he's only been in, in the job like a, a few few days, if if not, and he'd already done an interview. Um, so I think Keegan, you were you were asking uh, about his his general interaction with the media. Don't you want to want to expand on that? Uh, yeah, I was just wondering what he was like with the media, not just yourself, Andy, but the other sort of media who covered Brighton as well. Was he engaging, and did you have much to do with him? Like, was he seen much or just how was he around the place? He was he was always very kind of polite and welcoming, but di wouldn't wouldn't routinely do much media. So you wouldn't you wouldn't sort of see be speaking to him day in and day out. Um, but he was always around. I mean, one of the interesting aspects of that, going back to what I said, Dan was at Brighton games most of the time. So he he wasn't he wasn't one who would be off everywhere scouting scouting players you know that that kind of that that department was already set up the, the scouts that wouldn't be dan traveling here there and everywhere uh to, to watch potential signings he was more often than not at brighton games well that's that's good to see i mean we've, we've kind of um i mean we've we've seen we've seen him at brighton games i guess i mean one of the first things when we were we were first linked to him was he was he was at the Brighton game when Newcastle yeah, were playing yeah. playing them and um you know Eddie Howe was saying hi and it was joked about us like oh yeah we'll see you soon but you know as it turns out yes yeah, not not too far from the truth but yeah it's it's nice to see that interaction and I think that's he doesn't necessarily need to be right at the forefront because you've got Eddie Howe to speak to the media for the first team it's nice to kind of take that pressure off Eddie Howe so from my point of view Eddie Howe at at um bournemouth was potentially overworked um i think he sort of said himself that there was nothing else in place and he had to deal with everything from scouting to recruitment to coaching to like first team management and like sort of fronting up to the press so he, i think he said like you know he was he was due a break because he was getting a bit burnt out so it's kind of nice and reassuring that that newcastle's got their man in place to kind of take some of that pressure off but link everything together so everyone knows what's going on um and i guess one of the one of the other things was I, I was curious to know when he first joined brighton so obviously he's been sort of developing a bit of a reputation at, at west brom moved to the england set up at the fa uh what did you see him bring into brighton when he first joined the club and and did you see things start to change because you, you've, you've already said that there's there's a little bit of uh, there, there was already structure in place. There was already sort of some some bedrock there for him to work with. But did he change anything dramatically that you could see when he first joined? I th I, I think the if you like the area that is the biggest strength with Dan and the thing that interests him most is that development of young players. Is that creating a pathway uh, for young players to get an opportunity? That has become very clear at Brighton. Um, he was he was 
involved, if you like, in Graham Potter, championing Graham Potter's appointment. Graham is a head coach who's quite prepared to take no notice of a player's birth certificate. If he thinks they're good enough, he'll, he'll play them. We've seen numerous examples of that already at Brighton. That, I would say, is Dan's biggest strength. And if you look at the, the time he was at the club, the number of young... Tarek Lamptey, uh, Jakob Moda, um, McAllister had actually, they were already in the process of signing him pre-Dan. Moises Cachado, Jeremy Sarmiento, two, two 19 and 20-year-olds going to the World Cup with Ecuador. That that would be, I would say, his his biggest area of strength. What What's quite difficult to assess with Newcastle in terms of recruitment, they're going to be fishing in a different pool to the pool that Brighton were fishing in, particularly now. So, so assessing that is, is actually, is actually um, quite tricky because uh, certainly it was explained to me that Brighton didn't have any great fears about Newcastle coming and trying to poach X, Y and Z because they anticipated that they will be at a different level. This was earlier in the year. So yeah. uh, kind of riders of that is Brighton have ended up finishing ninth and doing yeah. really well, and a lot of players attracting a lot of interest from a lot of top clubs. But, um, but even so, I don't think there's a there's a huge fear that you know because Dan Ashworth has gone to Newcastle, there will suddenly be four top Brighton players ending up at Newcastle. Dan Byrne was a was a kind of different case, I think. Um, there was a local lad coming home as well with him. I think he was home. an older player. Exactly. Got, a, got a chance at Brighton yeah. because of, of injuries, essentially. Um, and then it's like, I think it was a good deal all round for, it was. It was for, a, it for was both Brighton and Dan, for uh, Dan it was Burn. A great yeah. deal for everyone, Dan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting that, I mean, one of the things I was actually going to ask, I think Demi was going to ask you actually, was was about that taking taking that next level of, of finances available. So, Demi, I don't, I don't know if you want to expand on on that particular area that we were curious about. Yeah, so obviously, like you said, now with with the money that we've got, he's going to be fishing in a different pond, and obviously, his probably remit is a little bit different to what it was at Brighton. But I'm really interested to hear about that development pathway because I know us as Newcastle, we haven't really had too many come through the system and too many pushed through from from the northeast. And I know the northeast is a is a hotbed of football, and there should be a clear pathway of of local lads coming through into the team. Who, who push who push up so I'm, I'm wondering what do you think what do you think that development in terms of when a player that he's looking for what type of player is it was it clear there was a type of player person style that he was looking for from from young players to, to develop to go into to the first team what, what was that sort of identifiable quality that you could think that you could think of okay I think the overall sort of overview of, of, of what Brighton are and their identity, um, if you like, it really falls into two categories with the young players. So there are the players coming through the academy. So Robert Sanchez, for example, the goalkeeper, uh, you know, who's who's just been sensational, really, uh, coming into the side. And Ben White, who they they sold to Arsenal for fifty million last summer, having loaned him out step by step. Uh, Newport League Two, Peterborough League One, then Leeds Championship. Then played him in the Premier League for a year, did really well, goes to Arsenal for 50 million. So there, there are the academy players. And then the, the, the other element of Brighton's recruitment of young players is they tend to 
go far and wide across the world for young players with potential who they can get kind of below the radar um, at relatively low cost. And we've seen this happen lots of times already. In fact, it's happening right now with a young lad from Paraguay called Julio Enciso, who's on the verge of signing for Brighton. He's only 18, um, has already made six, six uh, appearances for Paraguay. So, so there's that strategy as well, where, where their recruitment network goes far and wide. The idea is that these players, hopefully, are good enough to develop and go into Graham Potter's team. If they're not, there's good resale value. Brighton have still made them worth a lot more than they were than when they signed for Brighton. And I guess overall... With, with Brighton, I mean, Graham Potter as a head coach, very fluid philosophy. You'll see the formation change from game to game. You'll see the formation change during games countless times. So they have got an awful lot of players within their squad who can play in multiple positions. Who can yeah, play. Eddie Howe seems to be like that as well. We've seen Leandro Trossard, a uh, Belgium international, who was essentially a winger when he came from Genk. He's played right across the front line. He's played as a false nine. He's played left. He's played right in a in a one or a two up front. He's played at wing back. He's even Graham has played him at wing back a few times, and that's happened with a lot of different players where they almost get taken out of what might have been perceived to be their comfort zone. I'm a central midfielder or I'm a right back. Obviously, that doesn't necessarily work for every player. There are going to be some players who who pretty much have a specific position, but Brighton have a lot of what I would call multifunctional players. So, so that, that, that's the kind of, you've got a head coach, that's his style. So then you're fitting the kind of the type of players you're bringing in, fit that mold and the young players, mobile, energetic, that that's the kind of ID. Right. It, it's it's somewhat reassuring that uh, obviously one of the big names floating around at the moment is uh, Darwin Nunes, who apparently um, uh, Dan Ashworth tried to sign for for Brighton while he was still there, but ended up going off to um, off to Portugal instead because I think the the fee then was still quite high. And obviously, as you're saying, it's like it's it's kind of this buy cheap, develop in house progress them and then you're either going to have like this constant bit of money coming in from reselling those players or you're going to have these first team ready um, players to help you progress and I guess from our point of view as Newcastle fans we're kind of hoping that you know if if he was missing out on the likes of say uh, Darwin Nunes for that extra five million or something that maybe now he's got that extra kitty to, to play with, to, to go after those sort of like that next level of, of starting player. And I think our owners have actually been quite open with their, their preferred model. And I think they've, they've referenced the Red Bull model where, you know, it is a case of buy young players and develop them in house. And I think I, I said on the, on, on uh, last week's podcast, uh, when we were talking about, you know, the, this, this sellable model and uh, we don't want to be a selling club anymore. But if we can buy in, you know, three players of 100, uh, worth 120 million, it beats buying one player for 120 million because we can turn them into 120 million pound players, sell one of them and you've still got two. 
and then you've you've got the money there to reinvest in those young players coming through so you kind of get this constant conveyor belt of players which is which is what we've really lacked at Newcastle for so long now and having that that in-house development as as Demi said um so that's that's actually really quite quite interesting um one thing i was actually wanting to ask you is i th- i believe um the I believe David Weir now is in charge yes. of the director of yeah. football. Do you see him as that the, the long-term successor, or do you think Brighton will actually be be sort of looking around to see if there's someone else that they can they can they can get in? Already confirmed as 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 the long-term successor. Another thing Brighton do very well, um, which really comes from the top, comes from the owner chairman Tony Bloom. They're very fortunate in that they they've got an owner has got very deep pockets and he's also a lifelong fan of the club so tony tony's a businessman essentially made his 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 fortune in sports betting but he's got a wide range of business interests now sports betting is still at, at the heart of that um actually spends half his time half the year down there because his wife is australian and um they're always planning ahead Brighton, Brighton do a lot of forward planning. So they don't wait for things to happen. They're not reactive. They're very proactive. Um, for example, if we go back to um, players, they'll always be sometimes signing almost a window or even two windows ahead, you know, sending a player out on loan who might then be ready in a year's time. So, so that that's a kind of strategy that 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 comes from from the top, uh, from from Tony Bloom. So they're very forward thinking in that respect. And David Weir is a very good example. So what they did with David Weir, David, uh, a Scottish international, very experienced top player, Glasgow Rangers, Everton. He came to the club as as loans manager, which again was a new role. Uh, because Brighton, the number of players Brighton have expand, uh, uh, loaned and the level they've loaned them out has expanded dramatically uh, since getting to the Premier League. So David's original role at the club was loans manager. He then, before Dan, before the whole Newcastle came thing came up, was kind of being groomed. He was like a, assistant technical director to Dan. So he was he was almost being groomed for that role. You've then got Gordon Greer, who was Brighton's captain, um, central defender, another Scotsman, who was a scout, who who then had been working with David as as sort of assisting loans manager. Gordon has now stepped into the role of loans manager. David Weir replaces replaces Dan Ashworth. Rather than going externally, they were originally looking at putting the putting that job out through an, through through an agency that they use and advertising externally. But then they decided, no, we've, we've got great confidence in David Weir. Let's see how he does over this period. And he, he'll take... So the idea is it's a smooth... But even though nobody's can pretending, you know, they ideally Dan Ashworth wouldn't have left. In an ideal world, Dan Ashworth would still be Brighton's technical director. But they try as much as is possible to make sure that if you get some, something happen like that, it doesn't disrupt them too much. And... If you look at the evidence so far, like we say, this has been dragging on since January. It hasn't really done too much damage to Brighton in the back end yeah. of the season. You know, finished ninth, record record position, record point. They broke every record going, every club record that you can think of. So it's that kind of 
smooth um, progression by having things in place, by anticipating, if you like, what may happen. Listen, they would have probably known, forget Newcastle, that Dan Ashworth, because of his CV, because of the job we he was doing, that it would be almost inevitable at some point that a big club would come for him. They would have known that and would have planned for that. Not necessarily the timing or who, but they would have been aware of that. Same, same yeah. in the same way as Graham Potter, you know, is trapped in lots of, there's been lots of speculation around around the head coach. They will they will already have an idea of somebody who fits the mould of what they what they would like. If and when Graham Potter, I don't anticipate that being any time in the near future. By the way, but but they will have that kind of planning in place. They're not waiting for something to happen. I think that's something that's um, that struck me with Dan Ashworth's first interview was he was very big on that. We want to develop it from the ground up. We want to have a nice flow through the whole system. So from the academy to the reserves, to the under 23s, to the first team, um, so that everyone's kind of on the same wavelength. Everyone's on the same page. They know what each other's doing. And it's kind of creating that progression system. And it sounds like from a, from a Brighton point of view, everything's been put in place to sort of have this natural progression so that you can lose one of one or two pieces, but you've got other people ready to step in that you you, you haven't missed a beat. So Ashworth's been gone. You've you've kind of you're going to be selling players, and you know you, you've you've done exceptionally well. So I, I kind of just wanted to lead into another thing that I wanted to ask you about was sort of. Brighton have done exceptionally well at establishing themselves in the top flight of the English game. And how do you see them um, sort of developing now and, and progressing now? Um, what do you see for their future? And how do you see um, sort of not only Brighton's sort of standpoint, but every other club outside of the big six dealing with those top level clubs and, and progressing forward in the league? How do you see that? Well, it's interesting you say that because I, I sort of think about this a lot and um, sounds bizarre to say, but Brighton almost did too well for their own good this season. Let me qualify that. What I mean by that is for four seasons, they'd finished bottom six in the Premier League. Suddenly, they've jumped to ninth. And what comes with that is fan expectation, which can always be a little bit dangerous, I think. So... If, if listen, you cannot plan it like this, could you? But I would have said in a perfect world for Brighton, they'd have finished about 12th. That there would have been that gradual progression. They've suddenly jumped. The reason I say it's not a problem, they've done great, and that's fantastic for everybody. But the danger is, what is the expectation now, next season, for a club that's finished ninth to kick on? Suddenly, if they're 13th next January, are people going to what's gone wrong? Why, why, why we've gone backwards? That, that, that is the danger. And, and for a club that at Brighton's level of spending power, wage bill, because they're, they're still bottom six in terms of wages, which is quite significant when you're talking about players going or, 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 or coming in. They're, they're at a level now where, where the, they will spend, they're prepared to spend fairly big i mean their record fee at the moment is still adam webster central defender which was 20 million from championship side bristol city two years ago now three three years ago now but they're certainly prepared we've shown we've had examples you know 
the pursuit of Nunes just being one, that they'll they'll probably be in the sort of prepared to play 30 million type bracket. But obviously, the higher you go in terms of the fee, the more likelihood is that the wages are going to be big as well. And that's an area where they're still playing catch up because historically, this is a club that a decade ago were playing in League One in a converted athletic stadium in front of 7,000 people. So it's going to take time. The longer they stay in the Premier League, the better. But there is going to be a realistic ceiling for Brighton. And the reason why I said what I said about earlier about perhaps doing too well is they're actually not that far off that. Finishing ninth. I mean, what what is the realistically the best that you could hope for Brighton? Seventh, probably. Yes, we saw Leicester. I know the Leicester story, but come on, that is a, a freak. That, that's, that's, that's one in a million. That's a one in a million. Yeah. yeah. So... You know, probably seven. I mean, the, the next kind of logical progression for Brighton would be that and getting into Europe. That that would be the kind of next step from here. But what they've always said, their their vision that they've had for a couple of years now was that they want to establish themselves as a top 10 club. There was no time limit on that. And that didn't mean, oh, we're going to finish in the top. We've got to finish in the top 10 every season. They're kind of aware that, there would be bumps along the journey. But it was kind of to become one of those clubs in that kind of next group where you're not always starting the season immediately thinking, just, just get enough points to stay up. That's where Brighton still are at the moment. They still will be at the start of next season. Worrying really about that initially and then getting to that stage and then progressing. So, so they're, they're not that far off. I, I guess this, the difference I would say between a Newcastle in particular uh, and and maybe a club like Aston Villa is is the spending power, particularly in Newcastle's case now, I would say. I, I'm still pretty confident that most of the fans you will know, be panicking until we get to that 40 points yeah, again. Yeah, next but, what I'm saying is down the line, <laughs> the better. potential down the line. I yeah, think yeah. Uh, it w- would would be the the um, the the biggest difference there, um, because like I say, Brighton are not that far off doing as as well as you could wish for, really. No, I, I think they've actually done 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 really well for themselves. It's like, well, I mean, we we came up with you guys. We when I mean, we beat you out on in terms yeah. of top spot for the championship like when we both got promoted and and Brighton's really pushed on with everything and they've really established themselves which is which is why I was I was keen to hear hear your thoughts on their progression because obviously we stagnated a bit kind of went backwards a little bit under Ashley when we did get promoted um and, and now hopefully the the tide's turned again in our favor with new owners that are that are willing to invest but with a long-term strategy for sustain, sustainability as well which I think is vitally important for for we're not going to be able to go out there and outspend Man City and Liverpool and Man United and Real Madrid. And it's like, it's just not going to happen. But we can kind of create a sustainable model where we're the best of the rest. And then you build up gradually. I think the days, let's be fair, the days of of a, of a big spender coming in and just sort of like buying up the league like Man City and Chelsea did. I think they've they've made sure that, that that's a closed up shop now. And so we're going to have to be a little bit smarter about how we do that and how we actually create that sustainable model. And I think, you know, 
as as we've already said, it's, you know, Brighton's an absolutely perfect model. So it's 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 not a not a surprise that we've gone after Dan Ashworth, and hopefully, yeah, we we can kind of create the same sort of atmosphere and the same sort of long term project, but with with a little bit more resources behind it to kind of take that next step, so that we are you know potentially up there into into European qualifications and and, and flirting with the Champions League again. Um, I think most most fans would love to see St James's rocking on a on a Wednesday night with uh, Juventus back in town. I still remember that game. That was absolutely fantastic. So uh, um, I'll uh, I've, I've done a lot of talking. Um, so I kind of uh, I want to hand over to Dimi and Keegan. Um, I'll let you guys ask some questions if you want. Yes. Yeah, so, so I'll, uh, Dimi, just, Dimi, head off first. Yeah. yeah just, just on, um, on the philosophy of, of Dan and and how how he's molded Potter and how you how Bright have, have formed. Do you think Graham Potter always had that style in terms of his philosophy was always that way, or do you think the way Dan Ashworth has sort of molded that is that pushed from a football director perspective? How do you think that? No, that no, I, th- I think that was always there. That that is that was Graham. Mm-hmm philosophy so it was yeah. it was it was a case of that joined up thinking and it's quite interesting when we, when you look at it then you know a football club and you think to yourself actually it's not really rocket science what they're doing it's just having joined up thinking you know so that you can see this pathway that the, that the academy or the under 23s and it all kind of works in sync amazing really that so many clubs don't do it that it, that it appears to be a mess so often um, but no, I, I think that that philosophy would have been there. So, so it's it's like fitting those pieces together, you know, um, so that Graham is then getting the type of players that he 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 wants. The, the role of that kind of manager is it's changed a lot. You know, if I go back, the idea that the manager back in the day, whoever the Brighton manager was, Mickey Adams, would be traveling the country scout doing basically everything i mean that's that's long gone particularly at the level are bright brighton are at now you know graham is the head coach of course that means he's involved in the recruitment process of new players but essentially there's an idea of the type of player he wants and then the scouting department go go away and and scout these players come up with it he'll have the final word uh you know but there needs to be obviously confidence in that process as well that, that you're getting the right the right type of players. Yeah, I think it's, it's very important. Go for it, mate. Sorry, go. No, I was going to say it's, it's very important to have that cohesion because obviously things can happen. You can lose players to injury. You can lose players to players get sold. But if you can have that same consistent system of he can, he can just plug into a hole or he can fill it, fill in a position and he, and he knows exactly what he needs to do from under twenties to twenty threes to to first team to it's a very valuable thing. Like and like Graham Potter has done, he's brought in teenagers at times who know the role. Doesn't matter how old they are, doesn't matter how experienced they are, if everyone knows that role and system, it's it's a wonderful thing. And and it's a and like Mark said previously, you can, it's an ongoing conveyor belt. If you can get that cohesion amongst the whole football club, it's a never ending cycle where you might lose one player here, but someone comes in and fills in that role. You're not relying on your one superstar or two superstar players to, to win your games as a consistent team cohesion that is very, very valuable. Especially when, I would say, especially at the level yeah. Yeah. I'd say as well the important one of the important things is it sounds a bit of a stupid phrase, but trust the process they they talk about a lot. You look at Brighton's season for as well as they did, 
They had terrible results at home all season until the end. And they beat Man United and West Ham. They had a run after a really good start where they went 11 league games without a win. A lot of draws, but 11 league games without a win. After Christmas early, early years, they lost six in a row. But always in the background is the trust the process. Yes, we're going to have these these rocky periods. That's going to happen to pretty much everyone in the Premier League, unless you're Man City or Liverpool. Um, but trust the trust the process. Trust what we're doing is right, and it will turn. And I can go back further than that. When Brighton were, uh, they had a phrase when they were in the Championship, and not even back when they were really contending to be promoted. Premier League ready. Premier League ready was 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 a kind of mantra internally, and um, again about the forward planning. I mean, people probably scoffed at it at that time, but it was about saying that when we get, if that's our aim, and when we get to the Premier League, we don't want to think, oh, we're a Championship. Oh, what do we do now? We're going to have a process in place that means we're ready for it. People may have scoffed. But look at what they've done since. They're now again heading into their sixth season in the Premier League, successive season. For a club of their size, that is not hard to that is very hard, sorry, to do. You look at the number that have fallen, similar size clubs and bigger clubs in that in that space of time. It's not easy okay. to do. So a, a lot a lot of background work has gone into that. I think the continuity as well is a, is a big key factor for, for Brighton and, and the way that they've set things up. And I think Wolves are kind of going down that path as well with how they're setting things up to, you know, buy those young players. But what I like about Dan Nashworth when he had his interview about what they tried to do, at, what he tried to do at Brighton, um, and I'll, I'll get your opinion on this, is they, they tried to have like a, a full club philosophy so that if, you know, if if Graham Potter does get snatched up by by a you know a quote unquote bigger club, um, if he goes on to like a Champions League club or something like that, then they've got a footballing philosophy in place so that they bring someone in who wants the same sort of type of football. They slot back in and they don't need to change everything as much. And you look at someone like Man United who have well okay they finished sixth and i think we all would love to finish there sort of in the near future um we're not going to scoff at that sort of level of, of achievement but for them they're claiming that that's a bad season but they're constantly chopping and changing managers and every manager that comes in has their own philosophy their, their own style of football and they want their own type of players to fit into that and nothing ever gels because they never get enough time to actually see that implementation where if you've kind of got a general footballing philosophy, then you don't need to worry about that because everything's kind of carrying on as is and you're just bringing someone else in to, to do the role. So, yeah. um, I mean, that that to me from the outside is what Brighton are trying yes. to do. And I think, yeah, that that's interesting to see. Well, yeah, exactly. They're not, Tony Bloom is not a hiring and firing chairman if, 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 you, if you look at Brighton's record. I mean, Chris Hewton, course <laughs> know well as well uh graham's predecessor he had he did a fantastic job over four years chris took them from the they were in the championship relegation zone when he took over got them up having missed out on promotion the previous season in the most agonizing circumstances only drawing on the final day at middlesbrough countless injuries in the playoffs which cost them i i must admit i thought at the end of that season it's going to be a while before we see Brighton in the Premier League. I didn't think they could recover from that. And yet they went up automatically with, with Newcastle the following season. So, And then Chris kept them up for two years, which is 
note the first two years no mean achievement yeah. um but then what they decided they needed to progress from that that was that was the decision that's why graham potter came in they didn't want to be that team one of those teams that are always going to be in the bottom six and, and chris was a different type of manager if you look at the squad then they had a lot a lot of older more experienced players um chris it, it was kind of based on on being resolute um less uh progressive if you like style of style of play um so so that was the next stage that they envisaged in their development with, with graham potter but you're looking now over the course of i mean graham's into his uh well he's had three years so he's halfway through a six-year contract that was extended within 13 games of him taking charge so brighton have had two managers in the last you know seven eight years which um yeah, it's it's good to see that it's, 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 it's not often you see that Definitely not often these days. Um, Keegan, I, I don't know if you've got any other questions you want to add? Uh, not so much a question. I just think it's reassuring uh, what Andy was saying about their recruitment and their trust with all the young players and stuff like that. And I think we really hit the jackpot in January, not just with the players we brought in, but the characters and the characters of the players that we, we brought in at the same time. And I think with what Dan's implemented at Brighton, I think it's reassuring that we're going to continue to bring in not just good players but good characters and i think that's going to be really really important not just maybe the next 12 months but the next two three four years that we continually bring in good people to the club not just good players and i think yeah it's reassuring that that andy has said that I think that's what he sort of tried to do at Brighton as well. And that's why they've had the stability because they've had good characters in and around the club, not just obviously the playing side, but the owner, the manager, they all stand like good people, which I think is a really, really important thing. Especially yeah, I, I, I think it's worth mentioning as well that um, every conversation I've had in the dealings that brought with Dan Ashworth, with Dan Byrne, absolutely very respectful. The, the the new owners the way the way they've dealt with things not not going through the back entrance up front so there's been no issue at all in in negotiations with Newcastle they've they've done things properly I mean the Dan Ashworth thing was just at Brighton you know he he had a mm. notice period and until you reach a figure <laughs> that's agreeable for us on that he's he's not going uh, or he's on yeah. gardening leave so that was just a kind of uh that was the business side of it but they've they've very uh no issues at all with the new owners so so i think that's worth taking into consideration now listen if i was a newcastle fan now i'd be excited for what lies a, what potentially lies ahead um i think got a really good head coach i like i like eddie Howe, dan ashworth in place now and i think they'll do it stage by you know stage by stage that would be the thing not a case of just suddenly newcastle this club with fortunes and are gonna go and splash out money here there and everywhere and be challenging for the title i don't think that will be it'll be it'll be that step by step but certainly you would think there's the potential with the fan base to side of the club to be the top end of that that next group if you like you know that 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 club that are, are seven for an in europe pushing on. you know pushing on 
Yeah, I think Dan's joined just at the right time because the opening for this window has been chaotic, to say the least, for Newcastle fans. Um, we've been linked with everyone and anyone. Um, we've had ongoing, uh, well, protracted uh, transfer negotiations over Sven Botman and um, Hugo Ekitike. Uh, we, we have signed uh, Matty Target, which came out of nowhere. Apparently, Dan Ashworth has come in and sort of uh, canned the Henderson transfer rumours as well. So, uh, Dimi, um, I'll let you uh, wrap things up. We are sort of running into sort of late times on this show anyway. So uh, I'll ask, let you uh, ask your last question. Yeah, so the, the last thing I wanted to ask Andy was, given his brilliant reputation in the game and obviously the fantastic job he's, he did at Brighton and obviously did great work at the England FA as well, why do you think no other clubs probably upper echelon clubs in the Premier League had a go anymore. If they did, had he, had he rebuffed any moves before Newcastle came up? I, I find it quite curious that his reputation is so good in the game in England that no other club, all due respect to Brighton again, bigger than Brighton, came and said, we'd love you to do what you're doing at Brighton. What, was there was there any any times that he was approached prior to Newcastle or was it only only when we came knocking in I'm not I'm not aware um that that there were others as well there may have been stuff going on behind scenes brighton also are other club they keep their cards pretty close to their chest the way they do things um just you'll see in the transfer it'd be interesting to see if that kind of follows on with newcastle as well just in the transfer market they're always very wary of uh not announcing deals until they're pretty they're done more or less they're because uh, they've been caught out one or two times in the past when it looks like a player's coming and it doesn't happen. Hmm. I, I'm I'm not aware that 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 um, there were other offers, but I'm as I kind of indicated earlier with Brighton, I'm sure they would have been anticipating that that would be the case. Uh, maybe Newcastle have got in got in first, which is which is which is good for them. Um, you know, Dan has. He's always lived. His his home is still in the Midlands. He's always had the family home in the West Midlands, even like working with Brighton. So, I guess that that's always given him a bit of scope um, geographically. And I think just what would have appealed to him. I mean, I know people will talk about the money and you know how much he'll be getting. But I think that the challenge of going into this kind of potentially, you know, a big club. Uh, with with huge potential, but a lot of work to do. Sort of almost starting from scratch in terms of oh, the, yes, yeah. you know root a and blank right. page, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's that that would have been uh, that would have been uh, particularly appealing to him, uh, and um, would have certainly made the decision easier um, to leave. Well, I'm hoping. Um, I mean, the, the big thing for me with with our new owners is they certainly look to be going after people that they want and they trust in the club and they're willing to wait to get them. So, mm. you know, that they, they could have gone and got other sporting directors and directors of football or whatever they were going to be called. Uh, they, ha they could have had other options on the table, but they've, mm. they've obviously seen something that they liked in Dan Ashworth. They've pursued that. Even though he's been on guarding leave, they haven't tried to force the issue. They haven't sort of been impatient with it. They've waited their time. Um, they've come to an agreement just in time for the transfer window to open. And, you know, it, it, it's quite a 
quite a big tick from me that they're they're willing to wait their time for the right things to happen yeah. Um, yeah. and hopefully that kind of carries on where we're doing the right things for the right reasons as opposed to just trying to splash cash and and sort of um you know try and prove who's biggest and best where without really having that plan of attack in, in place so all good um I think we'll probably leave it there. Um, thank you very much, Andy, for no joining problem. us. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, um, we'll we'll let you get off because we know that there's some transfer and gossip <laughs> brewing and some some breaking news that we're that you're going to be called off to. Your phone's obviously yeah. going off the off the hilt at the moment. So uh, good luck with all of that for the rest of today. Um, and uh, thanks for Demi and Keegan for joining us as well. Hope everyone that's watched this or listened to it on Spotify have enjoyed it. So uh, thank you very much again, Andy, and I uh, hope to talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Andy. Andy.